shall request uh, five volunteers to read from paragraph one to paragraph five, and then I'll read paragraph six, which we'll consider this evening. Worship is to be given to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to Him alone, not to angels, saints, or any other creatures. And since the fall, not without a mediator, nor in the mediation of any other but Christ alone. Prayer with thanksgiving, being one part of natural worship, is by God. The reading of the scriptures, preaching and hearing the word of God, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord, as also the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper are all parts of religious worship of God to be performed in obedience to him with understanding, faith, reverence, and godly fear. Moreover, solemn humiliation with fastings and thanksgivings upon special occasions ought to be used in unholy and religious manner. Paragraph 6. Neither prayer nor any other part of religious worship is now under the gospel tied unto or made more acceptable by any place in which it is performed or towards which it is directed but god is to be worshipped everywhere in spirit and in truth as in private families daily and in secret each one by himself so more solemnly in the public assemblies which are not carelessly 
nor willfully to be neglected or forsaken when God by his word or providence calls their unto. So we've considered the first five paragraphs of chapter 22. We dealt uh, with the regulative principle of worship in the first paragraph. Uh, the confession says, but the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will. God is the one who regulates and determines how worship should be done. And then the second paragraph, we considered the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, God is the object of our worship. We are not to offer worship to angels or saints or objects or created things, but only God. In the third and the fourth paragraph, we saw the element of prayer in worship. We saw its requirement, its characteristic. And then uh, we concluded last week with the elements of worship in the fifth paragraph. And uh, we considered two aspects. Uh, it's a continuation of the elements of worship, the first part, and then we looked at the attitude of worship in the second part of the paragraph. This evening we come to paragraph six, which deals with the location of worship. This paragraph seeks to answer the question, where then is God to be worshipped? Where then is God to be worshipped? It, it tackles the issue of the location of worship. And the confession here gives us gives us the answer in twofold. Confession says that God is to be worshipped everywhere in spirit and in truth. And then he also says that God is to be essentially worshipped in his church. So those are the two areas we're going to look at this evening from the paragraph. God is to be worshipped everywhere. Uh, we should worship God at all times and uh, in all places. And then secondly, God is also to be essentially worshipped in his church. And this paragraph is going to help us to see the kind of privilege and freedom we have as New Testament believers. And to help us appreciate the kind of privileges and freedoms we have, I'd like to ask a question. How was worship in the Old Testament different from the New Testament? Just by looking at that paragraph. What are the things that you're able to point out and distinguish what the difference between the Old Testament worship and the New Testament worship of God? worship in the Old Testament was done at a particular place, was done at a particular time. It was confined to a definite structure, which was the tabernacle. Um, the Jews were required to go to Jerusalem three times a year during the feast of the Passover. 
during the Feast of the Weeks or the Pentecost and on the Day of Atonement. What other difference can you point out? We can say uh, the worship in the Old Testament was done by specific people. Who, who are they? Who led the worship in the Old Testament? The priests, yes, the, the, the Levites, the, the tribe, the, uh, the, the Levites. So you can imagine if, if you're not a Levite, you cannot lead, for example, singing. You, you can have you can be very gifted in singing uh, but when people gather uh, you cannot lead worship so the fact that worship was done in a specific location by implication it also goes to say that that people could not move around the equipments that were needed for worship because God was only worshipped in Jerusalem people could not move around all the equipment that were needed and um, if I may ask how, how do you think that hindered Judaism what did it do to its spread to its advancement the fact that God is only worshipped in a specific place Imagine if, um, if, if, if it was said that Christians could only worship in only one place, one definite place. The spread of Christianity will be hindered because not everyone can access the place. And, um, and, and early during that time, there were no planes. Um, someone from China, for example, uh, could hardly reach Jerusalem. Someone in South America could hardly reach Jerusalem. So it goes to show that that kind of worship is only limited to the people around that area. Those are the only people who can worship God. But uh, as as we'll see this evening, um, God is worshipped everywhere, everywhere, and and that means. That has helped Christianity to advance because people can worship God in whatever place they are. People can meet and gather 
as a church and worship God. There is no holy land anymore. As we've sung the hymn, Jesus, wherever your people meet, there they behold your mercy seat. Wherever they seek you, you are found, and every place is hallowed ground. So we are pilgrims. We are looking for a heavenly Jerusalem. And so to the first point, God is to be worshipped everywhere. So the confession begins and says, neither prayer nor any other part of religious worship. So it goes back to the elements we've been speaking about in paragraph 3, 4, and 5. And it says, those kinds of elements are not tied to a specific place. And it says, they, they, uh, is now under the gospel, tied unto or made more acceptable by any place in which they are performed. So those elements of worship are not specifically tied to one specific place. Um, people can gather to pray anywhere. People can gather to read the scriptures anywhere. Those elements of worship are not tied. Uh, it says under the gospel. Under the gospel there implies that a change has happened. Uh, that we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And so the worship is no longer tied to a particular place and then says or made more acceptable by any place in which it is performed those elements of worship are not acceptable because they are done in a in a in any place or done by a particular person or towards which it is directed um, but he says but god is to be worshipped everywhere in spirit and in truth So Jesus Christ is the new tabernacle and we can worship him in any place and at any time. Because we, are, we have Christ, we are able to meet with him, we are able to commune with one another, we are able to worship him. Um, and this change of location from the physical tabernacle to the person of Christ is made explicit in John chapter 1. Verse 14, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 1, verse 14. Someone please read John chapter 1, verse 14. change of location is explicit in this verse in the sense that the word became flesh and tabernacled among us dwelt among us As, uh, and, and Jesus applies this truth in John chapter 4 if you look at John chapter 4 verse 19 Jesus is talking to 
the woman at the uh, the, Sam, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. Someone can read from verse 19 of John chapter 4 to verse 21. John 4 verse 19 to 21. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So Jesus is traveling and he goes through Samaria. And he encounters this woman at the well. They start talking about water. And the question arouse, arises in their conversation, which is the location to worship God? And Jesus is saying here that a time is coming. Neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. On this mountain, Mount Gerizim, or in Jerusalem at the tabernacle, will you worship the Father? So... Jesus is making it clear here that people will not need to meet in a definite physical place. But they will worship God in what manner? In spirit and in truth. Notice that it is no longer a location, it is an attitude. Jesus is making the point here that the worship in Jerusalem had passed. God's name is going to be all over the earth. That worship is acceptable no matter whether it is offered in Samaria or Jerusalem. So what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? It means to worship God uh, from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, in light of his word, mm. yes. as he has revealed himself. Yes, to, to, to worship God in spirit, you're worshipping God. The, the inner man is worshipping God. So it doesn't matter whether you clap your hands, close your eyes, whether you're crying uh, in worship. The, past, uh, the real you is worshipping God. You're worshipping God from your heart, from the bottom of your heart. And as Pastor said, to worship in truth means that you're worshiping according to the teachings of Christ. You're, teach, you're worshiping according to God's word. Mm. Any question or any comment before we continue? <clears throat> the confession there capitalizes the word spirit. Mm. That's not quite accurate because when it capitalizes that word, it implies that we are we are to worship God in the, Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, which is not quite the meaning of that text. But I guess it's because they were using the the KJV translation, which capitalizes the word spirit. Um, I also thought that uh, we we it would be better for us to to use the terms. Old Covenant and New Covenant as opposed to New Testament and Old Testament mm. lest anyone think that we are 
doing away with the old testament mm. yeah because if you look at the old if you refer to it as the old testament dispensation mm. it spills over to the new testament until the time Christ is born and he begins uh, until until the the fullness of time has come mm. and so uh it's, it's more accurate to say old covenant new covenant um just so that no one misunderstands what we are talking about yeah mm. any question or comment before we continue i think this whole matter of the place of worship is very important mm. because i mean almost every sect that uh, you know that that is is can be referred to as a christian group mm. um in one way or another we tend to spiritualize the places where we meet for worship mm. which which is which is a a thing that um should not be done we should we should not think that when we meet at the tent for, for us as TRBC that that place is more holy than in this house because the way we worship god uh is in spirit and truth and not in Jerusalem or anywhere else um so, so you'll find charismatics for example uh referring to even that place where the preacher stands as a as a most holy place as though to go back to the old covenant sanctuary yeah ways of they call they call the church building a sanctuary um they call the you know the the place where the pulpit is up there at the podium the altar the altar yeah so 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 which is is, is a kind of an old covenant setup mm. which obscures the new covenant mm. where Christ teaches that we are to worship him in spirit and truth mm. um and and I, I believe that this should this should help us in the way we live our daily lives also because if there is no exact place of worship that god is to be worshiped everywhere that means in my in my home i'm to worship god in my conduct mm. in my workplace i'm to worship god in mm. in 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 when i go to school and and, and all those things mm. so that i am not found thinking that sasaniki in the church sunday that's when i will worship god um because for the christian god is to be worshiped mm. in spirit and truth which should essentially happen everywhere yeah. as you're saying mm. Mm. jesus is at the center of our worship is the doorway mm. the gateway to glory and heaven and so we 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 have this freedom to worship in a in a less restricted way and the all covenant believers this is because there is no 
holy place for you to go to worship God. We are no longer confined to Jerusalem uh, or the Muslims go to Mecca or uh, the Catholics. They call Rome the, the holy city. So these superstitions, as uh, Pasi has mentioned, they're, co- they're common, especially for all of us. We, we come from such backgrounds and um, it's important to be uh, our theology to be straightened that God is not confined to a particular place or to a particular denomination but he is present with those who worship him in spirit and truth and what makes the place holy what makes the place sacred it is the gathering of God's people the, the place of worship is not sanctified by, by land or building it is sanctified by God's people Let's look at the prophecy in Malachi chapter 1, verse 11. Malachi chapter 1, verse 11. Malachi 1 verse 11 God is, is rebuking the nation of Israel for their polluted offerings. And um, God says in his divine will that from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. So this is a prophecy in the Old Testament that God's name will not only be restricted or limited to a particular nation, God says in his divine will which is certain that his name will be great among the nation and then he says and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nation nations says the Lord of hosts so God is telling the nation of Israel you will no longer desecrate my worship and he expands Worship not only to them, but uh, also to the Gentiles. So there's no monopoly to worshiping God. Whenever God's people meet, Jesus Christ is in their midst. First Timothy chapter two verse eight is another passage given. First Timothy chapter two verse eight. Someone please read that. Paul is giving instruction to Timothy regarding worship in a local church and he instructs him the attitude in which 
men should come in worship. They should come with an attitude of humility, an attitude of reverence, an attitude of faith. The point is, it does not matter where. God looks at the heart and not the location. So, those three passages help to show us that we have transitioned from uh, the, 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 the old covenant to, to the new covenant. And... Um, For the Jew to, to speak of worshipping God everywhere is, is very radical to the Jew because they only believe that God was worshipped in the temple. And Christ, Jesus Christ dwells in the hearts of his people by his Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ it dwells us through the Holy Spirit and this, this means that every individual Christian becomes Mount Zion, becomes a tabernacle where the presence of God touches the earth and where worship can take place. Every individual, every believer is his own tabernacle of God where God dwells and where worship can take place. This is because in Jesus Christ, the Bible says the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That is Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. So if Jesus Christ is the visible image of God, then God dwells in the life of a believer. Jesus says, replies to Philip and he tells him, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. John chapter 14 verse 9. So if Jesus dwells in us in spirit, God dwells in us. We have communion with the triune God. We become a place of worship in our own person. So that First Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19, the Bible says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. So God indwells the believer. And the believer ought to be kept holy, as the body of Jesus is pure and holy. Romans 12 verse 1, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see, our bodies are to be kept holy and offered up to the Lord in worship because it is the place where God dwells. So it should not surprise us Many of the references in the New Testament, when it talks of worship, it's talking about the whole of life. It's not specifically often talking about public gathering or particular time. Often it talks about your whole of life. And it is clear that worship is should be done everywhere at all times. It is worship that never ceases. It is the whole of your life. And the confession says, <clears throat> but God is to be worshipped everywhere in spirit and in truth uh, as in private families. So he's talking here about private worship. And um, 
he says uh, he, 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 private families daily and in secret each one by himself uh, and then uh, verse 20 uh, the, the last part there we look at uh, public worship but uh, it, it doesn't give an exhaustive list um, it begins with private families and we, we can't emphasize enough the importance of family worship the, the people whom you sin against most is your family and that is why you should prioritize family worship you have biological bond because you're related by blood but you should also have a spiritual bond tying you together as a family the, the family is the most important unit and it is broken down if we do not observe family worship so let's look at acts chapter 10 verse 2 more can read from verse 1. Uh. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known of, what was known as the Italian Corp. A devout man who feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. And so we, we are given here an example of Cornelius and uh, this is among the many examples we see in the New Testament of worship done in the context of a family, worship done at home. Yeah, so as much as worship should be done at home in the context of a family, there should be also personal private devotion to God it should be a secret worship to him it should be done daily to be done repeatedly and that involves the reading of scripture and prayer it should be done systematically and it should be done inclusively not randomly and superficially so my encouragement is for you to read the scripture and to pray every day the fact that God requires you to privately worship him is not a substitute for staying at home and uh, saying that you're privately worshipping him. Uh, uh, we see private uh, worship, but we also see from paragraph 6, public worship. We also notice that it, is, it should be done daily. Uh, Jesus expects us to worship him every day. If you look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, the verse given for that, Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. Someone please read that. So in which context do we offer this request to God? Often it is in the context of a family. 
it is something that we should be doing in our family day by day give us so some form of family worship should be happening every day in our homes and it's the responsibility of the head of the family to lead family worship should be done every day and every member of the household should be encouraged to participate and then it also says that it should be done secretly and in secret each one by himself let's look at matthew chapter 6 verse 6 someone can read from verse from verse uh, verse 6 to someone can read verse 6 and 7 So the command there is to worship God. When you're privately worshiping God, you're doing it in secret. It should be done daily. And if you're in the context of a family, it should be done in the context of a family. That is in addition to your personal devotion. Um, any question or comment before we look at the last part? Also, we can look at Psalm 55, verse 17, before um, any question or any comment. Psalm 55, verse 17. Evening and morning and at noon. I utter my complaint, complaint and mourn, and he hears my voice. Yeah, so we see the, the psalmist here. He is by himself, and he calls on the name of the Lord, and he says, God hears his voice. So that's also in the context of, of personal devotion. Any question or comment? Uh, before we we look at the last section right though it's just they that they have the half half the truth because if they 
if they worship if they worship at home god is there yet they have half the truth because god is also to be worshiped publicly mm. in the gathered assembly of his people able not to be able not to neglect the gathering of believers mm. so 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 even though he has half the truth if he insists on it as absolute truth then he is wrong he has he has a error half truth is not is not truth yeah okay so the first point is god is to be worshiped everywhere however <clears throat> this does not mean that there is no special place for gathering for worship this is not either or it is both and yes there is mm. no special location for gathered worship but when god's people gather together for worship on the lord's day that gathering of god's people is heaven on earth when we gather to worship him as a gathering it is more special than your personal devotion to him so that you have in ephesians chapter 2 verse 21 we look at this uh, soon in our morning preaching in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the lord in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for god by the spirit the bible says there that the ephesians are the dwelling place of god in ephesus and we can say as well for us that trbc is the dwelling place of god in in meru when we gather together for worship on the lord's day it is special it is unique and it is a dwelling place of god so secondly god is to be essentially worshiped in his church god is to be worshiped everywhere but secondly god is to be essentially worshiped in his church confession says the last part so more solemnly in the public assemblies which are not carelessly or willfully to be neglected or forsaken when god by his word or providence calls their unto so in addition to private worship that is what it is saying there we have also public assemblies public worship so in addition to private worship there is public worship so jesus christ abides in us not only individually but also corporately and this is important because 10 of the books in the new testament are written directly to the to local churches there are pastoral epistles which are written to pastors first and second timothy and titus the old book of acts is about the establishment and function of the local church so the new testament has a lot to say about the worship of god in the context of the church the dominant factor in the new testament is not christianity the dominant factor is corporate christianity christianity done in the context of a local church so you cannot obey three quarters of the new testament if you're not involved in the life of a local church large section of the new testament involves our relationship with one another 
and a function in the context of a local church. So you can have private worship, but it is not either or. It is both and. You need private worship and you need public worship. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 to 25. This is a good passage to respond to um, the situation Alex was mentioning. Hebrews chapter 10, someone can read from verse 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the expression of our hope without wavering, for he who promised. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the days drawing near. So the letter is written to Jewish believers who are facing persecution because of their departure from Judaism. And the exhortation there in verse 25 is they should not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. But they should seek to encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. Another example of believers gathering publicly. That text there in Hebrews um, shows us that uh, it is the habit of others to neglect gathering with the people of God. So then the writer to the Hebrews tells them they shouldn't do it as is the habit of some. So Acts 2, 2, 42, 2 verse 42. So as we discussed the elements of worship, we have seen uh, that these elements cannot be done individually. So they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching. Uh, you cannot say you're just preaching to yourself, you're not going to church. You cannot say you're fellowshipping by yourself. You cannot say you're breaking the bread by yourself. You cannot say, um, yes, you can pray privately, but there's also public or corporate prayer. Any question or comment as we conclude? <coughs> For family worship, we have examples in uh, Abraham and David and Joshua 
And Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Mm. Uh, we, have, we have that exhortation there in Deuteronomy 6. Yeah, which says that when, when we rise, when we sit, when we lie down, when we rise up, when we walk, um, describing, describing for us every single situation that we are in, we have to worship God with our families. Um, yeah, the, the the Bible is clear that God is is to be worshipped everywhere. Uh, in the family, in secret, privately, and ultimately publicly, which is what we will do when we go to heaven. So that it's been famously said that those who those who do not want to worship God now publicly with other Christians should not expect to enter into heaven because what we will be doing there is worshipping God together for all eternity. So that as Pasi has said there that the public worship of God's people is like a little heaven here on earth. That's why it should be should be sweet and delightful to the to the Christian. Because it, it images um you know it's like a shadow of that which is to come. I have three applications in closing. First one, uh, we've already looked at it. The church is not a building. We see very clearly here that there is a radical change from the old covenant to the new covenant. Um, the reformers paid with their blood this truth that worship was not confined to a particular location or to a particular um, uh, to a geographic place. The Roman Catholic Church emphasizes worship in a specific place, like the cathedral, like the uh, St. Peter's Cathedral. Mm. Um, uh, but you see very clearly that's not the case from Scripture. A gathering becomes a church, not because they meet in a building, but because God's people have gathered to worship Him. Mm. And then secondly, we ought to have more spontaneous gatherings of, of believers, because if the Holy Spirit indwells us, when two or three of us are gathered, God is in our midst in a wonderful and unique way. And so there should be formal gatherings, but there should also be informal gatherings. Worship is not only confined to formal gathering. And then thirdly and lastly, we must be conscious of our calling to worship God in all that we do. All service is service offered to God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. All of your life is to be offered up to God and is to be pleasing to Him. Colossians 3, 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So wherever you are, in your workplace, at home, in informal gatherings, you're supposed to do everything heartily unto the Lord and not men. Any question or comment before we close in prayer?
person does not constitute a church um, yeah and I, I think that's that's a wrong way of uh, finding excuses not to go to church uh, because you're saying Kanisa ni Iroyangu yeah I've met with a couple of people that have told me that I have understood where they are coming from but I have told them nonetheless that they are wrong because many people who say that is because maybe they they went to church and Christians are hypocrites or they went to church and the pastor was found in I don't know what sin um, or just something happened while they were in the context of the church that they decided now God looks at the heart and not and then they misinterpret that but nonetheless uh, i have uh, sought to challenge them to tell to tell them directly that they are wrong um i have challenged them by asking them to go to the bible and give me the verse that says that not in a wrong you know there's a there's a there's wrong biblicism biblicism is the the idea that you can go to the bible and find everything there not in that sense in the in the sense that whether it's written in the bible explicitly or it is implicitly implied so now ambia you can use google google is your friend after uniambia kama kuna hiyo verse and more often than not they of course they will not find it even if it is said indirectly they will not find it and then i will i will bring to them scriptures upon scriptures that communicate that church is the household of god it is a gathering of god's people as as pastor saying it's, it's not even it's it's not even the building that we meet in it's it's those people whether they meet in a building or in a school or in a tent like we do or outside even church is those people and then i've also sought to remind them that when jesus comes back he will not come back for them he will come back for his church okay then yanga kanisa ni roho yako Yesu atakujia watu wake akuache hapo. Um yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Unless if there's no comment or question, we can spend some time in prayer. We can uh, mention the prayer needs and then uh, I see will pray for us. Yeah, just before, just before we pray, I just want to make one comment there. And the last portion in Atombia, these things are not too carelessly nor willfully neglected or forsaken. Um, <clears throat> and, and you realize that even though this confession was spent down in the 17th century, uh, it's, it's, it's very current. Isn't you? It's the spirit of the age for people to carelessly attend church, um, willfully neglect church um, and forsake the gathering of God's people. You know, living in a technological age, people are now saying that uh, you can you can go to church online. And they are okay saying such a statement. Mm. While if you look at the word of God more, more, uh, more closely, you realize that they are terribly wrong. Um, yeah, so, so we, we should make sure, we are to be sure that we are not carelessly or willfully neglecting the gathering of God's people. See, when we go out on evangelism and then we tell people to go to church, we, we are essentially telling them that they are to go and gather with the people of God if they are Christians. Mm. Whether they will come and, and, and gather with us on Sunday or go to their respective uh, gatherings, um, carelessly or willfully neglecting and forsaking uh, the public worship of God's people is not characteristic of a Christian. Mm. Um, Christians are to gather with God's people. Mm.